Okay, we are learning Daf Tess. And we're going to be starting from a few lines from the bottom, uh, four lines from the bottom. The Gemara says, Tani Idach and Chesim Rebez. We're talking about the year of the Yobo. The reason we got into this, the discussion is because one, one of the Rosh Hashanahs in the Mishnah, the first of Tishrei, is the Rosh Hashanah for Yovel, which seems to indicate that the Yovel begins on the first of Tishrei. However, if you take a look at the Psukim in the Torah, the Torah says that the, you're blowing the shofar in the seventh month, on the tenth of the month, on Yom Kippur. The Torah uh, says that we're required to blow the shofar. The Pasuk goes on to say, uh, You sanctify the 50th year. And there's a few halachos. The Pasuk says, We free all the inhabitants. It is a yovel for you. Everyone should go back. Every person should go back to their ancestral field and their families. And then the Pasuk adds, It is a yovel. It is the 50th year. It should be for you. And you're not allowed to plant. You're not allowed to work the land. So on and so forth. So we learned that there's machlokas exactly when it begins. One understanding is it begins only on Yom Kippur. All the laws begin on Yom Kippur. However, Yishmol, the son of Rabbi Yochanan Brokot says, that no, really, it's beginning with Kiddash Shemesh, Nasach, Hamishim, Shana. It's beginning already in the 50th year. It just it doesn't culminate, it doesn't finish. The slaves don't actually return to their homes until the 10th of the month. So we had a machlokas about that. And now we're going to go through more of the psukim. Tani Idach. Yovel hi, it is Yovel. Those are obviously extra words. There, that's the Pasuk. It says, you cross him to Rabbi you free everybody, Yovel, it is the Yovel. Ma'atamalomar, what is the Pasuk teaching us? It is the Yovel. What's the point of this? It already says the 50th year is the Yovel. Why does it have to say it is the Yovel? The previous Pasuk had said, you sanctify the 50th year. I would say justice becomes Kadosh from its beginning, meaning it becomes Kadosh already from Rosh Hashanah time. I would say, so too it remains Kadosh at the end from Rosh Hashanah until Yom Kippur the following year. So in other words, remember yesterday we were saying that even though Yovel only finished, like the Dinim only really kick in fully at Yom Kippur, but it's, they begin already at Rosh Hashanah, like the slaves don't have to work even though they don't go home. So what is that really? Effectively, what the Torah is saying is like it's like an add-on, you know, like even though it only begins at Yom Kippur, but those 10 days before already start the process. So maybe the halacha should be at the end the Yovel as well, you should, you should leave the Yovel not as a hard stop when Rosh Hashanah comes the next year. And when Rosh Hashanah comes the next year, it should continue over. It should have like a spillover effect into the next year. Just as in the beginning, it like you ease into the laws. So maybe at the end, you have to ease out of the halachas. And you shouldn't be like, think that's crazy. Like, how could you just like think that you should extend the Yovel here? We have a rule. The rule is when you, whenever you have a day of holiness, it's extended, right? The rules that we add. We're going to talk about that more today. But there's a rule that you have to assef a Shabbos, assef a Shantif, that you add on to the days of holiness. So maybe here at the year of Yovo, you should add on to the year of holiness at the end. There should be 10 extra days at the end and you observe the laws and you don't work the land. Therefore, to preclude that, the Torah says, it's Yovo the 50th year, which means only the 50th year will be holy. The 51st year will never have any holiness of Yovo. So we're saying there was a Havamina that perhaps... Uh, the, the, the holiness should spill into the 51st year, and we're saying it's not. Now, here's an important point. Right? That Havamina only exists in the opinion of Rabbi Shmuel Benosh Rabbi Yochanan Broke. Um, and that price was going like him, and that's why he was saying, hey, I see it began a little bit early, so maybe it goes a little bit, a little bit late as well. But Rabbi Shmuel, those who argued on him, they held that it started just on Yom Kippur. Like, there was no extension. There was no adding on to Yom Kippur, to, to Yovel in the beginning. So according to them... What, what do you need the Pasuk for? So that's what the Gemara turns around. For Rabbanon. According to Rabbanon, there was never a half a minute to think that it goes into the end, right? We don't need that. So what's the Pshat? What do they do with the Pasuk? It is Yovel. So they teach as follows. You count the 50th year of that cycle. 
for Yovel, you don't count it as both the 50th year of the previous cycle and the first year of the next one. Meaning, we know the cycles go 777, right? And then you get to 49, and then Yovel is the year after Shemitah. 49th year will be Shemitah, the last cycle, then there'll be Yovel. What's the next year? Is the next year year one of the next cycle, or is the next year year two of the next cycle? Meaning, does Yovel double up as both its own independent Yovel and part of the next seven? Or is it independent? The next seven only start after the over. Which way is it? So we're, that's what we're expounding. We're saying that it only counts for being the 50th year. It doesn't count as being the 50th year and also the first year of the next cycle. And that comes to exclude from Rabbi Yudah. According to Rabbi Yudah, it's not that way. Rabbi Yudah Taka holds that the 50th year counts for both cycles. It's a part of the previous cycle and the upcoming cycle. The next one. So it's a very interesting machlokas. A big machlokas is going to be how long the over cycles are. According to Rabbi Yudah, that every Yovel is both year 50 and year 1, then there's 49 years in each cycle. Because at year 50 is really year 1 of the next cycle. So it's really 49 years of a cycle. And then the Yovel year, which is, I get it, it's the year 50, but it's also the, the year 1 of the next 49. So as according to the Rabbanon, year 50 is his own year, and then year 1 of the next 49-year cycle will only be in the year 51. So that's the dispute, and that's what we're learning from the Pasuk, that we don't go like Rabbi. We go like the Rabbanon, we go like the Rabbanon, that the first year of the cycle, is, we'll, we'll have to wait. It's only going to be the one that follows the 50th year. Okay, so we learn different things from Yovel here. According to Rabbi Shmuel, we learn that we don't add on to the Shemitah year at the end. And according to the Rabbanon, we learn that the 50th year of Yovel is not counted as well to be the first year of the next cycle. So now, we mentioned before that we, there is an idea of Mosif and Mechol HaKodesh. Like when we had the Havamina that it should extend into the 51st year, we said, by the way, don't think it's so strange because we know that concept exists. So now the Mar wants to know where we know that concept from. It was Mosif and Mechol HaKodesh And Where does that rule come from? That when you have holy, holiness, that we extend it, you know, before or after, there's like an elasticity here that you extend it both before and after. So the Gemara brings a bright. The Tanya, it says in the Pasuk. Now what's interesting about this Pasuk is that it's a Pasuk in Parshish Kisisa, but what's interesting is that we don't even know what it's talking about specifically. Now, the Pasuk reads, it seems like it's talking about, definitely the first part of the Pasuk is talking about Shabbos. It says, Six days a week, right? You work, and the seventh day you rest. But then the Pasuk adds, So it, it, it singles out, Plowing and harvesting, you should rest. So simply put, it's talking, it's still continuing about Shabbos, and it happens just to mention those two malachas. But we're going to see here, that's a strange thing, right? Like, why would the Torah specifically talk about those two malachas? So here we go, the Tanya says in Abraisa, Ve'acharish of tishbos. From the plowing and the, and the harvesting, you should rest. Rabbi Akiva Omer, you know what's going on? It's actually talking about Shemitah here. It's not talking about Shabbos, it's talking about Shemitah. And he, what does that mean? The Pasuk doesn't have to tell me that I can't plow and, and harvest during the Shemitah. The Pasuk says in context of Shemitah, in Parshas Bar, you shouldn't, you shouldn't plow, you shouldn't, you shouldn't plant, you shouldn't harvest, all the malachos that you can't do during the Shemitah year. Ella, rather, what's the novelty here of this Pasuk? It's saying, the plowing is saying like this, don't plow right before Shemitah starts to benefit the growth in the, in, in the soil during the Shemitah year. So basically what the law is saying is you have to add on to the Shemitah year. Not only am I prohibited from working the land during Shemitah, but there's a period of time before Shemitah begins, Erev Shviz, at the very end of the sixth year, you're not allowed to work the land, prepare it for the planting, upcoming planting season in Shemitah. 
you're not allowed to do that. Even though you're not allowed to work for land during Shemitah anyways, you might be wondering, why is somebody going to do it anyway, right? Like, why would you be plowing if you're not going to plan on planting? Okay, but there might be a lot of reasons why that. You may have guy more working it. You may have things which are growing automatically. You may just might be good for the soil afterwards. There may be many reasons why the owner of the field would want to do that. And the Torah is saying that, no, already at the end of the sixth year, you're not allowed to plow the land. The the and the idea of cutting means that the there's the, the growth that happened themselves during the shemitah year. Sometimes the soil does that; it grows things during the shemitah year. So when you harvest right after shemitah, the things that you harvest still have to be shashvias because there's a tosefes kodesh. Now, how long is this growth? Is this tosefes? Is it thirty days? Is it three months? So there's a bunch of disputes on how long exactly this amount of tosefes is. Not for us right now. But the bottom line is that conceptually, according to Rabbi Akiva, <coughs> we have this pasuk, which we see in, 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 in Parshas Kisisa, these extra words, Bachar Shavakatsar Tishpos, which we totally take them and apply them to something different. We apply them to Shemitah, and then we specifically apply them to Toisefah Shemitah, plowing before Shemitah, harvesting after the Shemitah. Rabbi Yishmael, Rabbi Yishmael says, no, you got the pasuk totally wrong, forget about it. We're not talking about Shemitah, we're talking about Shabbos. <laughs> So it's really talking about Shabbos. Ah, if it's talking about Shabbos, what's the novelty? Like, why does it single out these two malachas plowing and harvesting? The answer is, ma'farish rishos. Just as you always, when you would plow, it's discretionary. Meaning, there's never a mitzvah in the Torah to plow something, right? Plowing is always a discretionary act. So malachos are also on Shabbos only when they're discretionary. Meaning, they're optional, and it's something you want to do. The Torah says, don't do it. So too, when it's usher on Shabbos to harvest, it's only usher when your act of harvesting, of reaping the grain, is a discretionary act. What is that? Why is that a novelty? Because it comes to teach me Yatsa Ksira Omer Shuhu Mitzvah. They're reaping the grain for the carbon Omer. Since that's a mitzvah, it could be done on the Shabbos. So when the carbon Omer is brought on the 16th of Nisan, which permits the new grain to be eaten, the way it works is that you harvest from the new grain specifically that night on the 16th of Nisan. You have to cut it fresh for the shame of the mitzvah. And then in the morning, you bring it as a carbon. So let's say that 16th of Nisan happens to be that it falls on a Shabbos. Are you allowed to do that? Are you allowed to perform the mitzvah of the Omer? But it's going to violate Shabbos. You're going to be cutting on Shabbos. You're going to be reaping the grain. That's kotzer. So we learn from here that you're allowed to. Because the Torah says, Bechar Shavakatzer Tishpos. Dost says, Harisha is always discretionary. So too, the Torah is outlawing Ketzira only when it's discretionary. But when it comes to a mitzvah type of Ketzira, like Ketzira so Omer, it's actually permitted. It's something which is mutter. So that's where Rabbi Shemal is learning. So he's saying the Torah Bechlal is not talking about adding on to the Shemitah year. The Torah is talking about Shabbos. And it's telling us that Ketzirah, so Omer, when it's a mitzvah, is permitted. So what comes out? So according to Rabbi Akiva, we got a source for the concept of, of Mosif and Mechol al Kodesh. But according to Rabbi Shemal, we don't really see from here as, as the concept of Mosif and Mechol al Kodesh. So the Gemara therefore asks, for Rabbi Shemal, Mosif and Mechol al Kodesh, according to him, he interpreted the Pasuk again, Talking about Shabbos, coming to teach that what the Ksiris Omer of a mitzvah is mutter. So, how does he know the concept of Mosif and Mechol Allah Kodesh? So, the Gemara says, Nafkalimitani, he learns it from the Bryce. This Bryce uh, is looking at a Pasuk in Emmer by Yom Kippur. It says in the Pasuk, it's a fascinating Pasuk, that on the, you should afflict yourselves, the Pasuk says, on the ninth. If you want to look at the side of your Gemara, it's probably Gimel. The Pasuk says, you afflict yourselves on the ninth of the month, by Erev in the evening. From evening until evening, you should rest. So this is a very interesting thing. The Pasuk seems to be saying that we have, that we have observe a Yom Kippur on the, on the 9th of Tishrei. But we know elsewhere in the Torah, the Torah tells us Yom Kippur is the 10th of Tishrei. So this, we're supposed to do the exact opposite. What? We eat, we're supposed to eat on the 9th. So we're going to see. We'll get that. Okay, you're Hold off. 
So it says that you afflict yourselves on the ninth. So Yochel Betisha, I would think that means you have to fast on the ninth of Tishrei. Maybe you fast the ninth and the tenth. Maybe there's such a halach. Talmud Lomar Ba'erev. But we know that can't be true because the Torah says in the evening. Meaning that sounds like it's saying in the evening after the ninth. So you're supposed to afflict yourselves on the ninth, but also in the evening after. So which one is it? Iba Erev Yochel Mishetesha, Talmud Lomar Betisha. I would have said maybe it's only in the evening afterwards once it's dark. But we know again it's supposed to be on the ninth as well. So how do I reconcile that? On the one hand, it's really in the, after it's dark. On the other hand, it's supposed to be done while it's the ninth. So how do I reconcile both points? The answer is that you add on to your Kippur and you start your fast while it is still day. So meaning it's not, the puzzle doesn't mean you fast the entire ninth day. The puzzle means that you start fasting at the tail end of the ninth day. This teaches us what's the concept. Right? That's really the primary need of Kol Nidre. Besides for what exactly we're doing, the primary, really primary thing we're doing is fulfilling a mitzvah midah or of starting the fast before the sunset. Says the Gemara, in the So I would know this only when Yom Kippur begins. How do I know when it leaves? At the end of Yom Kippur, how do I know that you have to add on to Yom Kippur? You extend it into the 11th of Tishrei for a little bit extra into the night. From evening until evening. I would know this only for the holiness of Yom Kippur. How do I know this is true for every single Shabbos? The Torah says you should rest. How do I know for Yom Kippur? Now most Rishonim hold that the Shabbos and, and, and Yom Kippur may only be Durabana. These are really only Asmachtas. The only time it's Daraisa is Yom Kippur. Other Rishonim disagree. They say, no, the Gemara is interpreting the words of the Pasuk. So it's a Daraisa. So bottom line is, we see this unbelievable concept of Masif Mechol HaKodesh. How do we sum this up? What do we take away? Whenever the Torah says the word rest, whenever you're having a day of holiness where there's no Malacha, Masif Mechol HaKodesh. You're supposed to add on. You're supposed to add on more. So this was... Now, to explain to us what Rabbi Shmuel's source was for Mosif and Mechol HaKodesh. So now, the Gemara wants to know if Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva knew Mosif and Mechol HaKodesh because he learned from Bechar Shubakatzer Tishbas. Remember, he said he was talking about Shemitah and he applied it to Arab Shemitah and the end of Shemitah. So according to him, you don't need the Pasuk by Yom Kippur to teach us that what? That you Mosif and Mechol HaKodesh. You know that already from Shemitah. So what does he do with the Pasuk of afflicting yourself on the ninth day? What does he do with the Pasuk? You afflict yourself on the ninth. Meaning he doesn't need it to teach me because he knows that already from, from the Pasuk of Bacharish of Akatzer Tishbas. So the Gemara answers, He learns it. He needs it for the Rav said from Pasuk says you afflict yourself on the ninth. Is it on the ninth that we fast? Will it be fast on the tenth? The Torah tells us elsewhere, Yom Kippur is the tenth. Eloh Malachah comes to tell you, Kol Ha'olchov HaShovah says, but gee, if you're going to eat and drink on the ninth, Ma'ala Levakasa, the Torah will consider it, Ki Ilu Hasan HaShiv HaSir, it will be considered as if, as if you fasten on both the ninth and the tenth. Meaning, what is the Torah saying? It says you afflict yourself on the ninth. But what it's really doing is saying eating, and it's calling it afflicting. Now, this is obviously a very strange thing. Why would the Torah say a backwards thing? It really means to eat, but instead of saying eat, it says to afflict. Right? Oh, doesn't make sense. So now we say it means eat. How do, how, do we, how do we understand such a thing? Right? What's the... Maybe eating makes you fast harder. Very good. Very, very good. So there's two different approaches in the Rishonim. The, um, the, 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 the Rashi, Rashi Bayal says an idea that the more you eat before fast, the harder it becomes to fast. Ever heard of that? Very interesting. So you're actually making it harder to fast. There's a different interpretation, which... which so you're, you're taco afflicting yourself when you're eating. Tomorrow it's going to be harder because you ate so much today. Or, that is what the Rosh says, you know, he, 
He's commanding us to fast, but he loves us. He doesn't want us to fast. He doesn't want to put us in pain. No father wants to see their child in pain. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows it's for our best. So he tells us to eat a lot the day before to prepare for the fast. It's like, you know, you, you, you know you're going to do something that's afflicting the son tomorrow, so you ease him into it the day before. So if you do it, if you eat, it's like a mitzvah to eat because of the fast the next day. So that's what's behind it. It's unbelievable ideas. But it seems like either way, it has to do with, the, with fasting. Like for example, if somebody wouldn't be fasting, for whatever reason, doctor's orders that they can't fast, it would seem like the simple interpretation would be that they don't have a mitzvah to eat. That would be the simple shot. So another idea is that maybe it takes the place of the Sudas of Yom Kippur. Interesting ideas. Right, right, right. It's a, it's a tough zone. I think here specifically we want it because the Torah says v'inisa. So it's like the Torah is calling eating in, in the language of afflicting. So we have to like, we're, we're grappling with that. Oh, the last one. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. Says the Gemara, Torah We learn in a price. So again, let's just make sure we understand. Yovel has three halachas, right? You don't work the land, you free the slaves, and the fields go back to, to, to their, where, where their families are. Those are the three halachos. Now the Torah mentions in, in the order, um, the order that the Torah mentions here, are, we, we, just to re- go over the psukim for one second before we start the Gemara, because it's important. One pasuk is, you blow the shofar, and then it says you sanctify the 50th year. It says you free everybody. It is a yovel, yovel he. Then the ancestral field goes back. And then it adds that you, at the next pasuk that you don't work the land. So the Gemara says, Taner Abanon, Yovel Yid is a Yovel. Yafel Pishol Shamtu. It's like, it's, it's more, it's added. Like the Torah is saying, it's still going to be a Yovel, even if the people did not leave their fields and return them to their right ancestral owners. Meaning, don't think that the law of working the land is contingent upon the fulfillment of the law of people returning their fields, even if people are not doing that necessarily, even if that's not occurring. And it seems that this actually historically happened. In the times of Yoyakim, you had other people, you know, people were very bad and they really weren't observing the Yovel. So the question is, if you're, you know, a tzaddik in the land and nobody around you is, is observing the law of returning the law, the field to the, their ancestral owner, is the law of that the Kedusha, is it still there? So the Torah is saying that it is. Yovel, Yishol, Shantel, or even if let's say they didn't sound the shofar. They didn't do it. Basin didn't do it. The law is that it's still Yovel and you're not allowed to work the land. So basically we're saying it's an actual word. It is Yovel for you. So therefore we're saying it still remains Yovel for you even if the commandments were not, were not done. Even if people didn't fulfill the sound of the shofar or returning the fields, it still remains the Yovel and you're not allowed to work the land. That's the idea. So the shofar and, and, and the fields are not the essential Yovel. The essential Yovel is a prohibition to work the land. I would say the same is true even if they didn't, say, even if they didn't fulfill they didn't just to free the slaves, meaning they didn't blow the shofar and they didn't return the ancestral fields, but they, it's still Yovel. But what if they didn't send away, they didn't send the, the slaves free? The Torah says it is. So meaning to say, if the people don't fulfill the law of freeing the slaves, it is not Yovel. That's a fascinating halacha. If all of Kala Yisrael here is not fulfilling the halacha and they don't free their slaves, it doesn't become Yovel. And again, becoming Yovel in our context means is the prohibition to work the land is in, in effect. If we're saying the people would not fulfill the law, freeing the slaves, it cannot be Yovel. If they don't return the ancestral fields and they don't blow the shofar, it could still be Yovel. But if no one's freeing the slaves, it's simply not Yovel. Rabbi Yossi Omer, Rabbi Yossi disagrees. He says, Yovel he, it is Yovel. Even if they didn't abandon their fields, or if they didn't release the slaves. In either case, it is still Yovel. And also to work the land. 
I would say that maybe it's Yovel, even if they don't blow the shofar. It says it is, that a year that you don't sound the shofar cannot become Yovel. So both Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Yudah are saying that two of the three things are essential, not all three. Okay, well, that means we have three things on our plate. The mitzvah to sound the shofar to free the slaves and the ancestral fields returning to their owners. Those are three things. And of those, two of the three are not essential. It seems like everybody agrees the fields going back are not essential. But the question is, is the blowing of the shofar or the freeing of the slaves essential? So according to Rabbi Yehuda, freeing the slaves is absolutely essential. Blowing the shofar is not, but freeing the slaves is. If you don't free the slaves, it's not a yovel, it's not also to work the land. Blowing the shofar is not as important. Whereas according to Rabbi Yossi, it's the opposite. Freeing the slaves is not as important. Even if no one does that, it's still yovel. But if they don't blow the shofar, it's not yovel. So I'm not which is the more essential thing, the blowing the shofar, the freeing the slaves. So Rabbi Yossi explains where he's coming from. Rabbi Yossi is saying that the tekiah shofar is essential, the freeing of the slaves is not. What's going on is that we have one indication to include and one indication to exclude. We're saying it's yovel, it's like including, it's saying no matter what, it's still yovel, but it also says it is, which is limiting, that it's not always yovel. So if Neiman Yomer Yovel Avishal Shoho, Ain Yovel Nigim Tako, so how do I choose to say it's yovel even if they didn't free the slaves, but it's not yovel unless they sounded the shofar? Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe it's like my, my, my colleague Rabbi Yudha said, that it's yovel even if the shofar is not sounded, but it's not yovel unless the slaves are freed. How do I know which way to expound it? The answer is, it's possible that the world will still exist without freeing of slaves. Because who says anybody owns slaves? We live in an era, you know any Jew who owns a here a slave? Right? So maybe, 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 maybe there are simply aren't slaves. So you can't say that the laws of Yovel are contingent upon people's freeing slaves, because maybe there will not be slaves. But it's impossible to live in a world where there's no shofar, meaning... There's always going to be an opportunity to blow the shofar. So it makes more sense that the Torah should say that Yovel is, is ma, it's ma'akev, the blowing of the shofar, but it doesn't make sense to say that it's ma'akev to free a slave, because not necessarily will that opportunity be there, whereas the opportunity to blow the shofar will always be there. That's one logical reason. And Dabar Achar, another reason, Zu Mesur Lebetzin, the requirement to sound the shofar, that's Basin's mitzvah. Mesur in Mesur Lebetzin, whereas freeing the slaves is not in Basin's power. So it makes more sense to say that the law is something that's based upon basin. Whereas the halacha is, is individual people, you know, it, it doesn't really make sense that an individual is able to hold up the yovel of the world. Like, that doesn't make sense. Basin, which is a communal power, it makes sense that they're in control of the power of the, of the, of, 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 of the yovel. Now, what would this mean? What, would this mean that everybody has to free their slaves or at least one person has to free their slave? I don't know. And in other words, it sounds like something more, maybe like even if it was one person wouldn't do it, like it wouldn't, one person owns a slave and he doesn't free him, it would hold up the whole world. And I mean, that's good for what Rabbi Yossi is saying. You know, Rabbi Yossi is saying that that's illogical. So that's why it makes more sense to say freeing the slaves not. Does that mean that the free, there's an act that Yeah, he sends him home. Oh, I see what you mean. I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I think the point is he can't force him to stay. In other words, if you would force him to stay by, fo- by force, you know, make him work, that might hold up the oval. But I don't know if there's like, you know, a formal right my number doesn't have any until you kipper what'd you say it again could be i mean we kind of see in a way that they're separated according to rabbi shmuel right according to rabbi shmuel they blew the show for this the slaves were technically free just they weren't going home right yeah, but definitely we see in this opinion that the shofar and the freeing of the slaves are separate. We're saying the shofar is ma'akiv, the freeing of the slaves is not. You can blow the shofar and still have your slaves, it will still be over.
Says the Why did Rabbi Yossi have to give another reason? Rabbi Yossi gave two reasons. First of all, a chauffeur is always available. Shulah Chavadim is not. And second of all, one is a base and one is individual. So why do you need a second reason? Because Because come on, there's got to be one person in the world who would send away a slave. So in other words, there's got to be at least one person who owns a slave. The whole svar was, you're not going to have a world without any opportunity to, to free a slave. And we're saying, maybe at least one person owns a slave. You've got no one in the world who owns a slave. So that's why you needed the second reason. Zoom, Mr. Rebezin, Mr. Rebezin, Mr. Rebezin. Sounding the chauffeur is, is given to Basin. Our requirement for slaves is an individual thing, so it doesn't make sense that an individual holds up the oval. We're just not working your land. So this is all what we mean. What halachos are necessary to fulfill to trigger the sanctity of Yovel to know that it's also to work the land. Meaning the end, the end result, like the, the din Yovel requires certain things to happen. What right. right. So like there, there are active things and then there are the passive things. And we want to know when does the passive halach, like you can't work the Yovel, work the land, what is that triggered by? Is it triggered by returning the ancestral fields? For sure not. Is it triggered by freeing the slaves? Machlokas, right? Is it triggered by the shofars? Machlokas. So now the Gemara says, Bishop Mother Abiyosi, Gilmar Tami. So we understand Rabbiosi now. We, he, he explained. He explained why freeing the slaves is not essential, right? Because it's not debased in and it's hard to find necessarily. Whereas the chauffeur is essential because it's always debased and you always have it. Other Rabbiosi, my time. Rabbiosi said the opposite, right? He said, Yovo is totally dependent upon freeing the slaves. Where is he coming from? Because Amar Krah, across him to Rabba Aretz, he proclaimed freedom in the land. And then it says, it is Yovel, right? The, that's what follows it. So, Kasavar Mikra and Nitra Shlafata, right? If you hold that a Pasuk, Yovel, he, it's expounded, it like sheds light on what was said immediately before him. So, right, 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 right before it, it said, it crossed him to our bars. So, since it's saying Yovel, he, that it's only Yovel, so that was limited, we assume that it's limited based upon what was said right before it. It's limited based upon the freedom. The, free, the freedom is what triggers the Yovah. But not on the phrase that appears before the one that appears immediately before it. So it says, blow the shofar, declare liberty, it is Yovah. So it is Yovah goes on what was right before it, declaring the liberty, but it does not go back on what was two steps before it, the blowing of the shofar. So that's just basically a loss of drushers. Yovah, he goes back on the thing immediately before it, not on the thing before the thing that was immediately before it. Says the Gemara, so the idea of the Pasuk says, you cross him, Durar, you call Durar. Durar, clearly, we under, we're understanding that it means freedom, liberty. So the Gemara says, my mashma, where do we see that that's just what the word means, that Durar means freedom? The Tanya says in the verse, it means freedom, what is meant by it? It's like a person who lives anywhere. Meaning, freedom means to live in a living. To live in a living means you're not. You're not subjected to live in a specific place. Freedom is you can go anywhere. You can move merchandise through any, through any land. Meaning that's the idea. You can go anywhere. So a slave has to go. You can't necessarily travel from place to place. The definition of freedom is that you can go wherever you want. Right? That's always the idea. The college backpacking throughout Europe. Right? That's the, the ultimate freedom. It's an act of freedom to go wherever you want without needing anything. That's, that's an act over there of freedom. Fine. Now the Gemara says we get a third view. Until now, everybody agrees it was, it was, it was Yovel, even if you didn't um, you know, do, do the fields. It was just a machlok as whether or not it's Yovel if you didn't free the slaves, or Yovel even if you didn't blow the shofar. That was the dispute. Now the Gemara brings a third opinion. So different views of Rabbi Yossi. Until now, we've discussed Rabbi Yossi. We've discussed Rabbi Yossi. Abba Chacham over him. The Chacham say, Shalashem All three requirements are ma'akiv. Shounding the shofar, freeing the slaves, and giving back the fields, all of them are ma'akiv. It's not Yovel unless you deal all three of these triggers. 
They hold that the Pasuk is darshan to what was right before it, right? The liberty. And to what was before, what was immediately before, the sounding of the shofar. And what also it goes on what's said after. After it says, it says, everyone shaft So you return the, the, every person gets his inheritance back. So they hold that the he goes back on what's before, before and before, and what goes afterwards. So all things, all things are mocking. Says the Gemara box of Yovel, but what the fact that the Torah says Yovel, that's like including more. Isn't that telling us even if something doesn't happen? So the Gemara says, no, that's just coming to tell us that Yovel is in effect even outside of Israel. And that's a Chiddush, right? That Yovel can be no matter where it is, even though, you know, normally we say Misrat Pliyos Barit is only in Israel. But here we're saying that, um, that Yovel actually applies even outside of Israel. How can you say that? It says that you, you cross from Dwar Ba'aret in the land. Clearly, we see Yovel's only in Israel. Says so the Gemara, no. Who that comes to tell us? It depends whether there's a Yovel in Israel. If there's a Yovel that's taking place in Israel, then you practice it outside Israel. If it's not Noig in Israel, then it's not Noig outside of Israel as well. So, if the people in Israel weren't sending away their slaves, so it wasn't triggered a Din Yovel in Israel, then it won't apply uh, the Din then it won't apply a din that uh, it, it's noeg b'chutzlar. So the Rabbanan are saying that Yovel is noeg b'chutzlar. See, that's what they're learning from Yovel. But we're saying that it depends whether the observance is taking place in Israel. If it's taking place in Israel, then it applies outside Israel as well. If not, not. So bottom line is, we have a huge machlokas about the triggers of Yovel. The last opinion of the Rabbanan are saying that the blowing of the shofar, the freeing of the slaves, and the returning of the fields all are absolutely central, and the, the land is not forbidden to work unless all of those, all of those things happen. No, it doesn't seem like it. It sounds like it's only positive mitzvah. They're nullifying the mitzvah. Is there another mitzvah where human action... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good one. Very good. Very, very good one. There's a lot of deep thought with this. You're saying that... that, like, that like, let's say you... you yeah, you can... Like candles, it's not Shabbos, Yeah, so. there's a, there's a, it's beautiful. There's a, there's a beautiful piece, of, actually, from Meshach Chachma about the contrast between Shemitah and Yovel. And more or less, the contrast that he wants to make is that... Shemitah is very related to Shabbos, where it's completely automatic. The Kedusha is there, just automatically. You do nothing. It just comes, time, you know. And then there's the 50th year, which is all about human sanctity. In other words, where we declare sanctity, and our actions are what makes it holy. And that's exactly as you're seeing. And he makes it a parallel to, I think, Shabbos and Yontif. But yeah, it's very interesting. All right. Lanitia, we said the first of Tishrei is the new year for the saplings. What does that mean? That means for Arla. So Arla, the Allah is that the fruit of the first three years is forbidden in benefit, right? So how do we define three years? So it's not, you know, from day to day. If I plant it on Tesav Cheshvan, it's not Tesav Cheshvan three years later. It goes already by Rosh Hashanah the next year, will now be in its second year. In other words, once Rosh Hashanah crosses, then that threshold of Rosh Hashanah is considered in the second year. So we know then, how do we know that? That the first of Tishrei is the Rosh Hashanah for Allah. The Sif Shalim Arelim. It says three years it's for you, it should be Arelim. And in the fourth year, all the fruit is Kaddish, right? The fourth year is not the Revai, you eat in Yerushalayim. So it says Shana. We don't know what Shana is. The Shana Shana mi Tishrei. We learn the Shava of the word Shana to a Pasuk there. It says Shana in the context of Tishrei. The Pasuk that we looked at in yesterday's Daph. At the beginning of the year, remember Hashem looks at Israel at the beginning of the year to the end of the year, meaning He judges us on Tishrei. She judges the word year over there, Bashana refers to Tishrei. So to the word Bashana over here is a reference to Tishrei. So it's saying that, that as soon as it, it crosses into Tishrei, it's in a different year. Says Mar Vilikmar Shana Shana Minisan, why don't I learn Xerashava Shana Shana where it says it by Nisan? Tiksiv Rishun Ulachem Lachache Ashana, but we learned on Friday. It says Lachache Ashana is a reference to Nisan. 
So maybe we should say that Nisan is the, 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 the trigger that says now it's in a new, a new year. Says the Gemara, no, that's more comparable Shana without months to Shana without months than Shana with months to Shana without months. We have an option in the Xerah Shabbat to learn from Nisan or Tishrei. Tishrei, it said Shana without mentioning the word Chodesh. By Nisan, it said Shana mentioning the word Chodesh. So over here, with, 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 with Arla, it doesn't say Chodesh. So we learn Shana without Chadashim from Shana that doesn't have Chadashim. So by the trees, it doesn't mention months. So we learn it from Tishrei, which doesn't mention months. But it doesn't make sense to talk about the one that, that, that to learn from Nisan where it mentions months. Okay, now we'll just elaborate a little bit more. So again, let's say I plant in uh, the middle of the summer, right? So two months later, when Tishrei comes, it's going to be in the second year. And then a year later, it will cross, it will be in the third year. And then afterwards, it will be done, right? And the next Rosh Hashanah. So it really ends up that it was really two years plus a few months that the whole Arla was. So even though the Torah says three years, but it's not really going to always be three years. It's not three years from day to day. And if I plant right, right in the beginning, right after Rosh Hashanah, then I'll get a full three years. But if I plant any other time, it's really, as soon as it gets to the next Rosh Hashanah, it's already in the second year. So that's what the prize elaborates. Whether somebody plants a tree. Mavrich means he's bending a vine into the ground. So that's a form of planting. Where he's grafting. Erev Shvi is before Shemitah starts. 30 days before Rosh Hashanah. So if he does this, 30 days before Rosh Hashanah, also lo Shana. Then when Rosh Hashanah comes, it's considered a full year. Meaning, it's the first year already passed in regard to our life. Now already in the second year. Furthermore, it's permitted to preserve these plants during Shemitah. In other words, you don't have to uproot them. They don't have to be uprooted. Meaning, even though Shemitah is beginning of Rosh Hashanah, but we learned that you have to add on. Remember, we learned you have to add on. But what the Chiddush that we're saying is that that adding is for 30 days. So anything that you would plant within 30 days has to be uprooted because you planted it during this Mount of Tosafis. But since it took root 30 days before Rosh Hashanah, you don't have to uproot it. It's considered sixth year stuff. But if the planting was done less than 30 days before Rosh Hashanah, lo also Rosh Hashanah, then when Rosh Hashanah comes, it's not considered a full year. In other words, we're saying it has to be at least that there were 30 days in the year before Rosh Hashanah for it to be considered that a year was chal for the, year, for the laws of Arla. But also Lakaim and Bashviyas and will be also to preserve these plants during the Shemitah. They have to be uprooted. So if 30 days don't, don't plant, it's not enough. So the first of Tishrei is not going to be the end of the first year. So when will the end of the first year be, by the way? So if let's say I plant in Tesvav El. So it's only 15 days till, till Rosh Hashanah. So we're saying 15 years is not enough to be a year. So when will the next year be? The next Tesvav Elo or the next Aleph Tishri? Rashi says the next Aleph Tishri. Interesting thing. So we'll always go into being a second year. The year always switches out of Aleph Tishri. If there were 30 days before, then it will be then. If it's not, it will be the next Tishri. And the same thing for Shemitah. We have this halacha that Shemitah has to be um, added on 30 days before. So if you plant within 30 days, it has to be uprooted. But if you plant before, it w- before the 30 days, it's totally p- p- permissible and it doesn't have to be uprooted. It's not 365. It's not-